0: The scripture reading this morning will be in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. Galatians 1, 6 through 10. It reads, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But, but even if we want, if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again: If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one who the one you received, let him be accursed. For I am for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Thank you. baby be seated.
1: Well, I'm certainly delighted to be with you today, and I'm very grateful for your presence this morning, and I think our changed arrangement here probably deserves some explanation, Um, One of the works of our young people, and Nat oversees this, of course, and works with them, is to go on a mission trip every year. And this year they plan to go to Beeville, Texas. On their mission trip, they pick out a congregation, that smaller congregation that needs help, and they help them with a vacation Bible school, gospel meeting, that sort of thing. And that's what they're doing soon. And they made a lot of plans and preparations regarding that. So we want to remember our young people as they go to uh, Beeville, Texas, and uh, work with them in that gospel meeting and Vacation Bible School. They went, oh, a year or so ago and had a wonderful mission trip, very successful in their uh, work with the congregation. The congregations invited them back. And so we're very happy about that, and, and we're very mindful of that in Discussions in my office, where you see this bedsheet chart here was hanging. Uh, Nat got the idea. Said, "Why don't we do bedsheet charts down at Beeville?" I said, "Well, I think that'd be a very good idea." So the young people have made their own bedsheet charts. Uh, the sermons that they're going to uh, deliver. Some of the uh, young men who've been baptized into Christ, they're going to be up preaching their bedsheet charts, which they have done. And they're going to be teaching the bedsheet charts that they had put together uh, for their Bible classes at the mission trip in Beeville. And then the idea came, well, we need somebody to demonstrate how to do that. And so would you please preach a sermon from a bedsheet chart? So I said, yes, I would. And so this sermon has been selected here. And please don't laugh at the graphics because I was only 14 or 15 years old at the time. And so this was a sermon that I preached years ago. And we're doing this again today to help some of our young men who are going to be delivering the lessons down in Beeville to work and to see how it's done, though I'm not the best one to demonstrate that by far. Uh, Then this evening we're going to have a couple of our young men Preaching for us from their bedsheet charts. I appreciate Phil's prayer, where he was thankful for the young men who will be preaching today, and I considered myself involved in that prayer. However, he had in mind our our young young men who are going to be here this evening. So please make a note of that, and please come and please encourage them, because it wasn't long time ago. wasn't a long time ago that I was sitting right out there where you were sitting, and I was looking up at bedsheet charts and I was listening to the sermons that were delivered. This is the way it was done back then. There was no PowerPoint. There was nothing like that. What they had were bedsheet made, and then we presented the lesson. Perhaps some of you are familiar, remember the bedsheet charts back then. Uh, when I was young, thinking about becoming a gospel preacher, I actually had the idea That if I could just tell people what the Bible says, they will do it. Isn't that naive? But I actually believe that. I actually believe that if I could help people understand the Bible and what it says, they'll want to do what the Bible says. But I soon learned better than that. It wasn't too long that I realized some people do not want preaching. And that there were certain types of preaching that they did not want to hear. There's certainly not a new phenomenon. Isaiah chapter 13 verse 10. There Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet, is chiding the children of Judah. And he says, you know, you people are people who want preachers who say, prophesy unto us smooth things. Prophesy unto us things that we want to hear, Isaiah 30 and 10. There was a generation who was involved in unwanted preaching. They didn't want to hear what the Word of God had to say. I'm sure that we've got the notion of saying, you know, if I could just tell them what God's Word says, they will do it, they will believe it, but that's not the case. Because there are some people out there that are involved in unwanted preaching. There are sermons they do not want to hear. Isaiah told him, said, you're like a cracked wall. That wall's going to come crumbling down. And it did. It did in the way of Babylon. Babylon came and took the children of Israel away, 70 years of captivity. The Assyrians had already taken northern Israel away, never to be returned. But it's not just an Old Testament point, it's a New Testament point. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, There Paul gives a wonderful illustration. At the end of his life, he's in prison, and he says, uh, second Roman imprisonment. And he's telling them, he said, there will be a time when men will have itching ears. And I often thought, what does that mean, to have itching ears? There's a time coming when evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been made assured of knowing of whom thou hast learned them. That's chapter 3, beginning at verse 13. And he says there's going to be people come along who don't want to hear the preaching of the gospel. They don't want to hear the word of God. They will have itching ears. Itching ears means they just sort of can't sit still. They want to hear something else. They want to hear preaching that somebody else does that really pleases them, the kind of message that they want to hear. And it's not the kind of message... But it's the kind of message that they want to hear. Now Paul's dealing with that in Galatians chapter 1. And that really is our focus today. Galatians chapter 1 verse 10. Now the people in Galatians chapter 1 were Judaizing teachers. The Judaizing teachers were people who were Christians. But they wanted to make the church more into judaism kind of a made over judaism and forced judaism upon the church and so they were telling them that they needed to be circumcised to become christians and they became christians by means of coming through the old testament law and paul said no that's not the kind of gospel this is it is the gospel of jesus christ it is not a warmed over judaism you can't force the church into being something like the Old Testament law. It's not that at all. Now, if I just preach what you want to hear, I'm surely not the apostle of Christ that I need to be. If I'm here just to then, then I'm not the servant of Christ. If I'm just a proud, a, a, a crowd pleaser. I'm not doing my job as an apostle of Christ, Galatians 1, verse 10. So I took that as a thought. I think what I'll do is quote some of the people that I've heard. And I'll write up there the things that I have heard them say. That's why you see quotes around them. I heard someone say one time, I'm tired of hearing giving all the time. I don't want to hear about that. Now keep in mind, I was 14 or 15 at the time. I didn't hear that here, but I heard it. And so I decided to put a little picture up there of somebody who said it and scriptures to help them understand better. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1 and 2 tells us very plainly that our giving is a part of our worship. Now the context behind 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2 is that Paul was making a collection to help starving saints in Judea. Now you'll remember in Acts chapter 11, Agabus was a prophet and he said there's going to be a great drought throughout the land. Now there was a great drought throughout the land, there would be suffering people in Judea, southern Judea and Jerusalem. They began to take up a collection. In Acts chapter 15, Peter told them on that occasion, Remember the poor. And Paul said, We are happy to do that. Peter said, You're going out and preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, and that's what God's want, God wants, but you and Barnabas remember the poor. And Paul said, We are happy to do that. And so he admonishes this Greek congregation in Achaia by the name of Corinth. Fulfill the promise. These Macedonian congregations have been taking up a collection for the poor. And as they take up that collection for the poor, they in turn are going to be using that for suffering saints in Judea. And let all this collection be done on the first day of every week, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1 and 2, that is part of our worship. That's what they did. Churches in Macedonia would be congregations like Thessalonica and at Berea and at Philippi. Uh, these congregations, they're all making a collection. And Paul says, now, I have really told them of your great love and interest in this matter of giving, how that you are giving and giving. Make sure that all of this is brought together when I come. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, 1 and 2, he says, now, the churches in Greece, Corinth, congregations like that need to be sure that the collection is properly uh, brought together. And so on the first day of every week they gathered together a collection so that when Paul came they would take the proceeds and thus help suffering saints in Judea. Jews who are now Christians in Jerusalem. Remember the suffering. Paul said we're happy to do that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 to motivate them to give. And that's what this fellow needs. He needs some motivation to motivate them to give. Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Paul said, For you know the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might become rich. What Paul was saying is if you want motivation to give look at Jesus and all that Jesus gave to help them understand of their giving. He said to look at Second Corinthians chapter 9 a man who sows sparingly is going to reap sparingly, but the man who sows bountifully is going to reap bountifully. We need to understand something about our giving. He's using an agricultural metaphor there. He's saying now, if we, if a farmer goes out there and he's stingy and miserly with the seed, he can't really expect much as far as a, a harvest to be reaped but if a man sows generously the seed he can expect a greater harvest and that's what Paul is saying with regard to members of the local congregation and fulfilling their responsibility the local responsibility in giving how as they have been prospered second corinthians chapter 9 church at corinth needs to give as they have been prospered notice the bible does not say give as the church has need The Bible says, give as you have been prospered. Decide beforehand what you're going to give. What that simply means is that you look and decide. You plan your budget. You look at your income. You look at what you have, and then based on your income, then, of course, you decide what you give. You give as you've been prospered. There is no specific amount given like under the Old Testament and the tithing that was there. But under the New Testament dispensation, there is the matter of giving as we have been prospered, whereby each is given the responsibility to help and give, which is a part of our worship. Now, we have done a good job, I think, in delineating that from the Lord's Supper, and it was mentioned today, and thank you for that. Thank you for discussing that particular matter because it's important for us to understand that the Lord's Supper is one aspect of our worship. Matthew 26, 26 through 28. And that is separate and apart from our giving. But our giving is a part of our worship. And we have a local responsibility here to give as we've been prospered. But do some people want to hear that? To some, that's unwanted preaching. And this fellow right here, you see those quotes around that statement? That's what he said. I'm tired of hearing giving all the time. But now let's look at another. I heard this statement made, and it took me back. This fellow right here, that's what we pay the preacher to do. And the context in which that statement was made was that uh, the preacher called upon someone to pray. And he called on one of the brethren to pray, and as he did, this brother said, that's what we pay you to do. You pray. And it took me back at the time that I saw that. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6, where the Apostle Paul talks about faith working through love. It's a beautiful passage of Scripture, one that you ought to mark in the pages of your Bible. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. The Bible passage, again, is Galatians 5 and verse 6. And it's a verse which tells us of our responsibility, each individual Christian. It's not a matter of me shuffling off my responsibility to someone who's been paid to do it. It is a responsibility of each and every one of us. The wonderful privilege as a child of God that I have to pray. How could I turn that over and say, you pray. That's what we pay you to do. 1 Corinthians 15 and 58. What a great passage that is from the pages of the Bible. And again, it's one that ought to be marked in every Christian's Bible as the Apostle Paul is talking about the working of the church. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Now, he's not talking about just the preachers doing the labor. He's not talking about just the elders doing the labor. He's not talking about just the deacons doing the labor. But what does he have in mind in 1 Corinthians 15, 58? He's talking to the congregation there. Therefore, my beloved brothers, everybody, be steadfast. Immovable, always the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. But you know what some people say? That's what we pay the preacher to do. Visit somebody in the hospital. I don't need to do that. That's what we pay the preacher to do. I don't need to do that. Why send a card to someone who's sick? Help someone who is at home and sick and can't get out. That's what we pay the preacher to do. I don't have to do that. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, brethren. Always abounding. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6. I have before you this great passage, which I think ought to be marked in your Bible again. And that's James chapter 1. Right at the book, the great book of Hebrews. James comes in our Bibles, and we come to James 1 and 27, and notice what the Word of God says in the passage. It's a Bible verse you can read from the pages of your own Bible. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. We have an obligation here, brethren. Pure religion. Pure religion means it's undiluted, undefiled. It's pure. It's right. It's right. It doesn't have one foot in the world and one foot in the church. But it is devoted to the work of the church. Pure religion is devoted to the help of others. And in this regard he's saying help those who are afflicted. Orphans and widows and their affliction to keep oneself unstained from the world. That's what pure religion really is. Nowhere in that passage does he say that's just the job of the preacher. Nowhere in these passages say there's just a certain class of people that have to work all of us have an obligation in these particular matters brethren christianity is a personal religion it is a religion that involves every individual person and when we become christians we have an obligation an obligation to ourselves to love and obey the truth and an obligation to others to teach them the word of god and to help as help is needed There's so many other passages that come to mind that are not on this chart, but I think I'll spend a moment talking further about this point because I'm getting all worked up about it. (laughs) In Philippians chapter 2, you have a Bible passage there that talks about having the mind of Christ, beginning in about verse 5. And there he says, Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. And I think this is one of the Most profound passages in all the Bible. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Son of God came into this world and took on the form of a servant the word servant here is bond slave and being found in human form he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even death on a cross therefore god has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of jesus every knee should bow on things in heaven things under the earth and every tongue should confess that jesus christ is lord to the glory of god the father There's our example. Service to others. Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. But someone comes along and says, don't preach to me about that. Because I want the preacher to do that for me. I want the elders, don't be preaching to me about that. Because I want deacons to be doing that for me. I have a responsibility. Now, just in case somebody comes along and says, well, I can't relate to Christ. I can't envision anyone saying that. But if anyone were to say something like that, he gives us two illustrations. One is found in Timothy, verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with the Father he has served with me in the gospel. Here's a guy that just naturally thinks more about other people than he does himself. He's an amazing character. I hope therefore to send him. I'm in verse 23. Just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Here's a man who's just so concerned about other people. He naturally wants to help. Now most people are not that way, Paul says. Most people think more about themselves. But here's a guy just naturally thinks about others and their welfare. That's not enough. He gives a second illustration. His name's Epaphroditus found for us, verse 25 I thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need for he had been longing for you all and has been distressed now what has Epaphroditus been stressed about distressed about because you heard that he was ill well he was concerned that they heard about that indeed he was ill near to death verse 27 But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Sorrow upon sorrow simply means that he had passed away. That would have added to my difficulties and my burdens here as a prisoner in Rome. I would have had sorrow on sorrow. But Epaphroditus was concerned, not for himself, but he was concerned for the church back at Philippi because they had heard that he was sick, and he was concerned that they might worry about him. Now that's not what I what I hear so many times is I was in the hospital and you only came to see me twice. I was in the hospital and elder. So and so's in the hospital. Well, that's a preacher's job. We're gonna let the preacher do that. He's gonna go see them in the hospital. Don't be talking to me about that. Don't preach to me about my responsibility. That's a preacher's job to do things like that. That's not my responsibility. It is the teaching of Scripture that we are to consider others more important than ourselves and that we are to step up and help as a matter of pure religion. When that help is needed, James chapter 1 and the verses, verse 27. Add to that this character right here. Do you know I heard that statement? That's why I put it in quotes. We don't have to go every time. Besides, we send the kids. Somehow, if I get the kids I don't have to be there. If I get the kids there, that means I don't have to come and worship God. Some way or another, somebody got it in their mind, if I can get the wife there... Then I don't have to be there. How narrow minded can we be? Now I got a point on that. I don't know that I'll get to it today. One of these fellows up here talking about narrow minded preaching. right there's a the guy right there. I heard that statement, such narrow minded preaching, and he was talking about the sermon on one church. That's narrow minded preaching. But now this is really narrow minded. If I can get the kids there, then that eliminates all responsibility on my part. If I get the wife there, if the wife gets the husband there, and he goes, then somehow or another I no longer have responsibility in that matter. And I cited Revelation 2 verse 10 in that instance. Revelation 2 verse 10 is a Bible passage which says that even if faced with death, we will be faithful. King James English translates it something like this. Be thou faithful unto death. A lot of preachers will take Revelation 2, verse 10 and misapply it. They will say, well, that means be faithful all the days of your life. That is a biblical truth. But Revelation 2, verse 10 doesn't teach it. Revelation 2, verse 10 is saying, you be faithful even in the face of death. Even if you lose your life, you be faithful to Christ. But here's an individual who says, well, as long as I send the kids, it's okay. That's narrow-minded. The Bible doesn't teach that kind of dedication. This is the kind of dedication it teaches. Acts chapter 17 and verse 11. If you have not read that or it's been a long time since you had, let's go to that Bible passage and read it this morning because I admire these people greatly. Acts chapter 17, this Berea is a Mesopotamian area. He's just come from Thessalonica. He did not have such a warm reception from the people in Thessalonica, Acts chapter 17. But he goes on to a place called Berea. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, verse 10. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. This was their custom. This is the way they did it. Now these Jews were more noble than those They received the word with all eagerness, Examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Notice their activity. They were examining every day the scriptures. They examined them daily. Now the Bible says, hold fast to that which is good. So a teacher comes along and they decided, we're going to see whether that's right or not. So we're going to open up the scripture. I'm going to study the word of God. And we're going to see whether he's actually telling us the truth or not. They were examining daily. And the Bible commends that. God says they were noble for doing that. For the Bereans were more noble than those of Thessalonica. Because they searched the scriptures daily to see if such things were actually so. They were studying. They were examining. They were proving by the scripture if such things were so. That's a long cry from this person right here. We don't have to be there every time. Besides, we send the kids. Can we see how shallow and unbiblical that idea, that attitude, is? Notice the attitude of the Bereans in Acts chapter seven. The activity was a daily activity of examining the scriptures, but it says in Acts seventeen eleven. They received the word with all eagerness. Examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Eager. They were people who were eager to study God's word. Eager means they had a zeal for it and they had a desire for it. They had a desire to come to understand more about the word of God. Teach me God's word. Help me understand the word of God. They had an eagerness and they had a desire for it. This person doesn't. This person doesn't have an eager desire for the Word of God. This person thinks, well, since I sent the kids, I don't have to be concerned about it. What a shallow, unscriptural attitude to have. Am I speaking today to anyone who has that kind of attitude? Am I speaking today to anyone who has said that either audibly or inwardly in their heart? I don't have to go. I sent the kids. Let's see, I'd love to talk about this lady right here and that guy right there, but I'm going to talk about this person right here. Such narrow-minded preaching about the church. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. That's a great verse, And Jesus in the co-cessory of Caesarea Philippi. And there he asked the question, Who do men say that I the Son of Man am? And they had their questions. Jesus wasn't asking that question for his own information. He was asking that question to benefit the apostles. Who do men say that I the Son of Man, am? And they said, Well, some say that thou art Moses or Elias. Some say thou art Jeremiah. Elias is the New Testament way of saying uh, Elijah. And uh, Jeremiah is just a Greek way of saying Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But who do you say that I, the Son of Man, am? And I believe that Peter gave the greatest answer you can give. I often thought about his answer there in Matthew chapter 16. I think it's the... Greatest thing that anyone will ever be able to say. You say a lot of great things. I remember when my daughter said daddy for the first time. That was a great thing to say. My son. That was a great thing to say. You're going to say some great things in your life when you get married to that wonderful person that you find you'll say, I do. That's a great thing that you're going to say in your life. The greatest thing you'll ever say is when you stand before people and you say, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. You'll never say anything more important. You'll never say anything greater than that right there. And that's what Peter said. And Jesus told him on that occasion, Blessed art thou, Simon, For flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I will say unto thee, I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He builds his church, his people, the people that you read about in the New Testament, people devoted to Christ, people who have come out of sin. People who have said no to sin and yes to Christ and have repented of those sins and been baptized in water for the remission of those sins and they're added to the church, the church you read about in the Bible, the New Testament church. This guy right here is as narrow-minded. Well, it's only as narrow-minded as the Scriptures are narrow-minded. If it's narrow-minded, it's because... And the scriptures teach. We're added to that one church you read about in the Bible. Now I want you to understand something right off the bat. I love everyone. I I do. I truly am loving and considerate for those who are in denominational churches I have a lot of denominational friends I have uh, some family members that are in denominational churches and I love them but I'm not part of a denominational church I don't want to be a part of a denomination you don't find them in the New Testament You find about the church that Jesus established on the day of Pentecost. Is it that I don't like these people? Well, of course I like these people. I love them. I have great respect for them. But I don't want to be a part of a denominational church. If you go out this building today thinking Jim Laws wants you to join a denominational church, you missed it. I don't want that. What I want you to do if you haven't already, to be added to the church of the living God, Acts 2, chapter 2, verse 38. Study Galatians chapter 3, 26 and 27. How to put on Christ by being baptized into Christ. And be added to the church that you read about in the Bible. The blood-bought body of Jesus Christ. And learn to love it. Sometimes you'll have people who want to criticize the church. And they'll make statements about the church in a derogatory way, and they're very critical about this and critical about that. And there are times, I have to admit, the body of Christ needs to be corrected. Because it could be that a congregation gets off on a tangent and starts going the wrong way. Or it could be that a teacher has come in and has taught the church an error and is so charismatic and winning in his way that in turn he kind of leads the church off in the wrong direction. A congregation can need correction. But earn the right by devoting your life to it. If you want to correct the error, earn the right by studying the Word of God and devoting your life to the church that you read about in the New Testament and learn to love it and devote yourself to it. And don't be like this character here. Such narrow-minded preaching. I don't want to hear that. We need to hear it. We need to hear everything that the Bible says. Now you'll have to forgive me a little bit, please. When I preached this sermon, it seemed to me it might have lasted 15 minutes, and I had to stretch it. had to stretch it. And I haven't gotten to all the points today. But that's how I used to do it, with the bedsheet chart. If you've never obeyed the gospel of Christ, I urge you to do that now. To repent of sin and confess your faith in Jesus Christ. Be baptized into Christ for the remission of sins. Added to the Lord's church. And if in some way I have you in one of these quotations, then why not repent of that now? While together we stand and while we sing.